Hello, and welcome to PDA, Neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. If you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, let's launch into this episode's topic. So we've talked previously about parenting in general, um, and the idea of, you know, here are some, here are some ideas on how you parent with a kid who has PDA and, and all of that is, it's all well and good, but unless you're a single parent, there's another person involved and having two people trying to parent PDA differently can be really disastrous. Um, and I feel like at least in my opinion, the situation that I'm in with, um, you know, me and little man's dad, I think we kind of have a pretty good handle on working together on parenting. Um, and so I thought maybe I would bring him in today and we could kind of talk about, you know, what it's like coming at things from, you know, having a different idea onset because I was reading the books and seeing like this is what you're supposed to do and and you know looking at Ross Green's book and and Plan B Parenting and um, that was not a place that he really came from before so we kind of had to uh, make some adaptations and I've noticed that that's pretty common for a lot of people Um, so I figured I would bring Shane in here today and uh we could talk to you guys about that. Would you like to say hello? Hello. I am the other parent. <laughs> I'm in the so, background. You're not in the background. Um, so, yeah. Um, what do you think? Like, when it comes to parenting Declan, how do you feel like we work together now compared to when we were first kind of learning about his PDA? In the beginning, there were a lot of fights on how to parent Declan. And that was while we were living together. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we went at it completely different. Um, I came from a authoritative background and that's how I raised the other two kids so that's what I went with on Declan as well Um, it worked great with the other two children Um, anybody who has raised a PDA child knows you cannot do that with a PDA child even after getting the diagnosis and understanding that it that parenting style wouldn't work with Declan I still didn't know how to change my parenting style to accommodate to his needs 
I just thought if I would try to do an authoritative parenting style in a nicer way, it would reach better results, um, which did not work. So it came to a lot of what you're doing is not helping. Um, what you're doing is we're, we're not getting the proper result. So it caused a whole lot of, a whole lot of arguments, a whole lot of, uh, conflict that didn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, caused a whole lot of stress on Declan Mm -hmm. that did not need to be there. Um, and it wasn't until I started reading the books myself and started learning of what plain B parenting is that I was able to start learning how to incorporate different parenting styles and Mm -hmm. where it's not easy having to relearn how to parent. Um, It at least allowed me to take steps in that direction and slowly work my way to where we are now which still isn't entirely where I want to be, mm-hmm. but is way further than I was back then. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. And it was, it was, it was a lot of fighting between us two, and then fighting between you two, um, and it was just, it was, it was a whole lot of stress all the way around. Um, do you think that your relationship with Declan is better now that you've kind of adjusted that? Um, it's still, our relationship is still hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is with everybody though. Yeah. Um, we've always had, uh, he's, he's very loving, um, but he's always been more aggressive towards me. Uh, which very well could be because of my parenting style early on that that's just how he just grew accustomed to being with me so it just stuck Um, so where I'm more calm with him he still lashes out on me first Mm-hmm. amongst other people which is fine by me I have no problem being the acceptor of that um, I'd rather it be me than you or the other kids uh, so I don't know necessarily if our relationship is better from his standpoint but I know that I'm not causing him as much Mm-hmm. internal um, internal strife strife as I was calling causing him previously yeah um, and the, you know, this is something I was thinking of the other day because we often talk about how you know he you know his teachers always say we don't really see as much of that at school because he masks at school and then when he gets home we tend to see it and that's because He's in this environment where he knows he's safe and he knows he can lash out and it's it's okay because nothing bad is going to happen to him if he comes unwound at home. So do you think maybe the reason you get more of it 
than others is because he knows that you're a safe person and that if he does lash out at you, you're never going to turn on him. It's very possible. I don't know. I'm... I mean, I, I thought about that one the other day, too. It's like he, he spins out at home, either my house or your house, because mm-hmm. he knows those are safe places. And it could be that he lashes out because he knows, you know, when he does lash out, if he, he goes at you, he knows that you're going to understand. Yeah. Right? It's like we were just talking about yesterday. We will never fully know what's going on in the little man's head. Mm-mm. So who's to say? I mean, it. that's just something yeah. that we're theorizing at this point. It's trial and error. PDA parenting is trial and error um, and guesswork and um, <laughs> experimentation. So because I see, I'm sure you've seen it too because we're both in this, um, that PDA board on, on Facebook. So, and there's often the help, you know, my spouse is, you know, not coming at this from the same way as me. Um, and so there is that, that strife there. So when you have two parents that aren't on the same page, how do you think, how do you think that affects every, like, cause there's more people in the household too, especially right. when there's other kids too. How do you think that sort of like affects the dynamic of the house? Well, it's going to affect it drastically. Um, you're always going to have, for the most part, you have the mom who's going to be the caring figure, who's always going to be the one to, the loving, consoling, um, kind of allowing the child to get away with more, so to say. Then you have the dad who feels like he needs to run a tight ship. Um, It doesn't always have to be that way. Um, Especially whenever it comes to these children. Um, So you don't have to have those old traditional gender role ideas, that outdated stuff. No, you don't have to have that outdated stuff. These kids need a calming environment at all times. Um, So it's it's not that we're trying to be over consoling and over loving and well we are trying to be over loving but we're we're not trying to be over pleasing we're trying to make sure there is always a calm setting and that the kid knows they're accepted at all times and mm-hmm. that we're not being this aggressive domineering Mm -hmm. mindset so the kid feels calm because when the kid doesn't feel calm Mm -hmm. there's more possibilities of the kid spinning out when the kid spins out it's going to lead to more hostility within the the household and if there are other kids in the household that's going to lead to more turmoil and sibling rivalry in the household Um, you're going to have other siblings fighting for attention um which i mean we have seen you know after declan was born we saw it with one of our other uh childs felt left out and Mm -hmm. you know because we had to focus so much on declan 
you know, the first eight years of his life that one of our kids felt like they were being neglected, you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that we meant to, it's just that we had to put so much focus on Declan, what he needed that our middle child felt like he was being neglected. And so you just, you have to, you have to be on the same page and you, you have to, you have to move or at least try to move to this plane B stuff to where you're, you're trying to make the kid feel like they're in charge without them really being in charge. You're giving them a small option to do what you want to get done. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're still doing what needs to be done, just their way. They're directing yeah, it, yeah. They're, they're directing what needs to be done, but with them directing it, they feel like they have control, mm-hmm. so they're not going to spin out about it. And so it's maintaining that calm mindset. Yeah. Now, it doesn't always work, you know? Right, yeah. It, it never always works. Um so you just got to you got to go with it the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I the other thing too is I almost feel like with the other two after having to take so many, you know, so much of that trial and error and those different approaches with Declan, it's it's shifted to the way I, I parent the other kids. Um I say parent like the oldest one's an adult now so it's not quite parenting but still like it's shifted my my approach with the other ones because I realized that I could use some of those same things because you can use those approaches it's not just stuff that can be used with neurodiverse kids it's stuff that can absolutely be used with neurotypical kids as well it is Um, and it you know it helps with you know, if they are feeling left out, because that is something that um, I've seen talked about a lot is people who have, they have one kid that has PDA and then they have other children and those siblings kind of feel, like you were saying, they feel kind of left out or they feel like um, they're getting in trouble for things that this one isn't getting in trouble for. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, this one, you know, he, he can't help it. Um, and so, you know, that's been using some of those same techniques with the neurotypical kids well actually (laughs) the middle one's not even neurotypical uh, right because adhd falls into neurodivergent category and we just actually recently found out that the middle one is uh adhd so me too yeah yeah um but using that kind of lessens that stigma that oh well you only you only do this stuff with him or he gets yeah. away with this stuff and and you've got which we have dealt with a lot over uh-huh. the past few years yeah absolutely so with us being in two households how do you think because i know there's there are other people who are parenting in two different households what do you think is the best way to approach that as far as like kind of keeping that continuity? God, communication. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We talk a lot. Mm-hmm. We talk on the phone every morning after Cassie drops Declan off to school. 
um, I call her and to see how the morning drop off went. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk, we text throughout the day, seeing how things are going, seeing if anybody has heard anything from the school yet. Uh, we typically talk to one another on whoever picked up the kid from school, see how the day went, mm-hmm. um, and then see how the evening went. Um, just a constant line of communication. You got to keep that open. Um, whoever has the kids on the weekends, typically if Cassie has the kids on the weekends, I stop by. Mm-hmm. I check in with Declan. I come over for a couple hours or so. Um, it's, you just, you have to keep a healthy relationship. Oh, yeah. And you have to... You have to keep a constant line of communication open at all times. Um, because if something does happen, like if Declan gets in trouble at school, then I make sure not to tell Cassie with Declan around because mm-hmm. I know it's going to cause Declan to spin out. Yep. Even if it's hours later, if he has to retell the story, he's going to spin out over it. So I just make sure I let Cassie know what happened. It's normally not even anything big, mm-hmm. but I'll let her know what happened just so she's aware of what happened and then that's it so but talk 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 yeah yeah and i think too we've we kind of before we change anything before we change any approaches in parenting or um you know how we handle stuff with him we usually like talk about it beforehand and kind of bounce it off because you know you might have an idea and you think this is a really great idea and then you bounce it off you know like I'll come up with something and I'll bounce it off you and then sometimes you'll say oh well yeah that sounds like a good idea but other times you'll think of some aspect of it that I didn't consider like well but what if this happens Um, and so I think that has been really helpful too is that we always we talk about things before we act on them and so that way we both know, okay, this is this is the approach, and then it can be mimicked in both houses. Right. Because that way you have that continuity, and so you don't have that potential for rise in anxiety because, oh, well, I don't get in trouble for that here, but I get in trouble for that over there, or I'm allowed to do this here, mm-hmm. but I'm not allowed to do that there. So you that that I help I think helps keep the anxiety down too. Yeah. For um, instance, yesterday I picked him up from school. Or Wednesday, I picked him up from school. And just out of the blue, he asked me if he could say hell. I said, no, you don't need to say that word. Well, what if I'm talking about uh, hell as in the opposite of heaven? I said, well, yeah, that's fine if you're talking about the place. Well, mom says I have to say the opposite of heaven. Well, then if that's mom's rule, then you have to do the same thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can't do one thing at one house and the other thing at the other house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's... Yeah, definitely continuity. I mean, because, and I think we've talked about it before, too. It, it's it's almost like you have these things that work really well for autism, and that's like the, the routine and the continuity and things like that. But then you have, those things don't always work with PDA, and it's like those two things inside of his head almost fight with each other. Um, and so you you try to keep things as... The things that won't, that aren't demand-related, you keep that continuity there on those types of things. 
Um, but the other stuff, you you really have to be prepared for the bait and switch, the yep. <laughs> the flip. What's going to work uh, today? Yeah, what's going to work today? It's very much what's going to work today. Um, I'm trying to think. So for those people who maybe are having a hard time wrapping their brain around plan B or adapting to plan B, what what advice would you give them on I that? think I think there's another option called plan C. I think that's like the emergency one. Though, but right? I don't know exactly what that is, but I saw that brought up in the Facebook group. I think that's like... I don't know anything about that. That's in the Ross Green book. Yeah, but um, if you can't do plan B, go plan C, but I, I don't know. Plan um, C is like the emergency type of situation where the, you're already in the middle of a meltdown. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess just you got to learn how to pick your battles. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you have to learn what, and that, that was a big thing for me too. Um, mm-hmm. cause I'll, I wanted to win every battle. Um, I felt like I needed to win every battle as a parent. Um, which I don't, uh, there, there's no reason for me to, w- to win every single battle as in, you know, I, I didn't have to have final say on every single thing. Um, Certain things, yes, you know, you know, certain things, hygienic things, I think, yes, we're, we're going to do it, you know, safety, safety. Yes, we're going to do it. But, you know, uh, about a month ago, he was over at my house and he wanted to go brush his teeth. You know, it was time for bed. It was, you know, medicine, teeth, then bed, Mm -hmm. took his medicine. We went to go brush his teeth. We got to brush his teeth and... Uh, he started having a meltdown, wanted me to brush his teeth. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to brush his teeth. Well, he went into a full-blown meltdown, so I ended up brushing his teeth. Yeah. You know, it. he had a meltdown, so I, I gave into it, you know, because I wasn't going to fight any further on it. Mm-hmm. Um, certain things, though, like, it doesn't even have to get to that point that it's like it's not really worth a fight right. over this. Yeah. Um. And I, and that's, I mean, that's a big thing too. You know, it's just, what are you willing to not have a fight over, or what, what are you, what is worth standing up for mm-hmm. to allow your kid to be upset over? Yeah. You know, what really means that much to you? For me, it's hygiene and safety. You know, that's something I'm really strict with. Um, everything else I really don't care about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, is some of the stuff you can, you can come back around to some things later, but other things you just kind of have to give up and let it go and realize it's not going to happen. Um, and some things just aren't, like you said, they're just not important enough to really put him in that state. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it, it enough is. to himself. Yeah, he does. He does. He really does. So it's... And with him, too, because he's such a, a danger um, to himself, that just minimizing that heightened anxiety, minimizing that potential for meltdown is just... It's really important. Um but yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I think it, it goes fairly well. I think we've managed to work things out. Um, and I, I want to kind of mirror what you said. If you are in a situation where you and your, you know, the parents are not together, you and, and the other parent of your child, your PDA child are not together, you have to do your absolute best to stay civil. Um, it's so much better. It's so much, so important, um, because that volatility is going to heighten anxiety and anxiety is, I mean, that's, that's the Achilles heel for our PDA kids. I mean, it really is. And so whatever you can do to bring that anxiety level down is, is essential. And being able to have open lines of communication, having a civil relationship, being able to work together, um, to be able to still go and do things together. Um, yeah, I mean, we still do things as a family yeah. all the time. Yeah. We do family vacations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are still a very close-knit family. Yeah. Which is very uncommon, but we're lucky enough to be able to do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think, I think too, because when we were first splitting up, it really affected, it hit him hard. And Mm -hmm. he thought like, well, if, you know, if you don't like each other, then you just get rid of somebody. And then that's when it, we started hearing the, just throw me away, get Mm -hmm. a better kid. And it's like, no, that's not what that means. And so if you have that more civil relationship if you are able to go and do things together as a family take trips or just go you know to the zoo or whatever i think that shows these kids that especially kids like declan who have that really negative inner monologue that just because a family shifts no one's being thrown away no one's going away um that's not how this works Mm -hmm. and so i think that's been really helpful too um, and then, I mean, it was a slow separation. Yeah. It was, oh, a, yeah. was like two years, something yeah. like that, like two years. Um, but it, you know, that was what was necessary in order for him to be fully comfortable with it. But again, because we were civil, we were able to do that. So I think that's, that's really the key too, is if you're in two separate households, having that, that even if it's just a show that you put on whenever you're, the kids are around, do what you can to, to try to maintain that because they, they will feed off that negativity. They really will. Well, is there anything else you want to add there? No, I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for, um, helping me out this time and I will catch up with everyone in the next one. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on social media. Just search PDA Neurodivergence and the Perpetually Determined Advocate on Facebook or Instagram. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.